Welcome to Fully Vetted, Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. Thanks for tuning in for episode 53 of Fully Vetted. I'm Kristen Bennett. Today, we're kicking off a new series on an old problem, the widespread shortage of veterinary technicians. Members of the OVMA Technician Recruitment and Retention Task Force are joining us to discuss the complexities of this deep-rooted problem, how long it's been building, what's contributing to it, and what can be done. Dr. Diana Crone, Dr. Jennifer Wells, and technician Kelly Norris offer three unique perspectives on the same issue. And now, on to the interview. All right, welcome to the Fully Vetted Podcast, Animal Care News from the Clinic to the Farm, presented by the Ohio Veterinary Medical Association. My name is Mia Cunningham, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kristen Bennett. And today we have Dr. Diana Crone, RVT Kelly Norris, and Dr. Jennifer Wells on the show. So thank you so much for joining us, ladies. Thank you for having us. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thank you. So you all are members of the recently created OVMA Technician Recruitment and Retention Task Force. Um, and before we get into you know, the work of the task force and why it was created, I'd like for you each to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your background. So we'll start with Dr. Crone. I'm Diana Crone, appointed chair of this task force and also vice president of OVMA this year. I've been a co-owner of a three-doctor companion animal practice on the west side of Cincinnati since 1995. Awesome. Kelly, would you like to go next? Sure. Hi, I'm Kelly Norris, and I am a registered veterinary technician. I graduated in uh, 1987, and I worked at Ohio State first in ophthalmology and then right now as the chief nursing officer since 1990. And Dr. Wells? Hi, I'm Jennifer Wells. Um, I actually graduated from veterinary technology school here in uh, Cincinnati in 1992 and then went on to Ohio State for veterinary school. Um, Since I graduated from veterinary school, I have been working at the University of Cincinnati's veterinary technology program, where I now serve as the program director uh, for the last 14 years. Awesome. Well, thank you again, ladies, for being here. So as Mia said, uh, the three of you are members of the OVMA Technician Recruitment and Retention Task Force, which was established in 2021 by then-president Dr. Ed Biggie. Dr. Crone, we're going to direct this to you since you sit on the OVMA Board of Directors and you were there for that meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about why the group was formed and what it has accomplished over the last year? Well, we were discussing how difficult it is to find registered veterinary technicians at an OVMA board meeting last year. Um, The board decided it's a very important issue to our profession and created a task force to further identify reasons for this and to explore potential ways to alleviate the problem. Our first virtual task force meeting was just about a year ago today. Now, understandably, this is, you know, like a complex, multifaceted issue. So if you could start just by defining some of the challenges for our listeners and Kelly or Dr. Wells, if you, you know, whoever wants to take it and give us a little bit of context, but. Can you give us a history on like the background of the shortage in the industry? Sure, I'll go ahead and give some um, background information. Um, As I said, I've uh, been in the veterinary field since 1992, um, and it has really been an issue that we've been discussing on the educational side, certainly for the last 20 to 30 years. Um, There has been a chronic shortage of veterinary technicians graduating from schools. Um, it's, It's a lot of 
things that go into the reasonings for it. We'll be talking about some of those reasons later. But we certainly have had challenges that have not changed despite, you know, changes in the numbers of veterinary technician programs out there, changes in the way that we compensate our technicians in practices and other things as well. It's, it's been a challenge and it doesn't seem to be getting better in the current climate. Now, Dr. Crone, as you are a practice owner, can you break down what exactly a shortage of technicians means for the average veterinary clinic? Well, um, it, it means that we can't do a lot of the things that we want to do. Um, you know, we've had, over the years, we've had up to eight registered veterinary technicians and so that we could have a full surgery schedule and a full appointment schedule. And now we're down to two full-time and two, two part-time and then some that just fill in sometimes. So um, that makes us short enough technicians that we really can't, you know, there's some days we can't schedule surgeries and we have to scale back the number of appointments that we can see. Um, it, it affects how many patients we can help, what we can do for them. And of course, that affects our practice bottom line. We've worked with UC Blue Ash uh, Veterinary Technology Program in a variety of ways. Um, I myself was on the advisory board for years. We were we hosted uh, practicums, preceptorships, and even lectured on various topics. Um, our lead technician and hospital administrator has been with us for 26 of the 27 years we've been in practice. She's a part-time instructor there. You know, because a lot of times people are like, you know, build a relationship with your with your local veterinary technology program, and that will help you grow technicians and and find technicians. And it used to work, but it's it doesn't seem to be working for us like in the current environment. Um, so we just we can't do what we want to do because there just aren't enough. There isn't enough staff to help us. So it's kind of like you're treading water. You can't expand at all. Exactly. We really utilize our technicians in our practice, and they do a lot of the dental, you know, the dentistry, the dental cleanings. They do, um, you know, they place IV catheters. They, you know, prepare anesthesia. Um, they intubate. They do a lot of the things that, you know, veterinary technicians are trained to do. Um, so when they are not, when we don't have enough, it really, you know, puts a cramp in our style. So we'll just dig a little deeper into that. So with the problem of the scale, um, there's really no way of identifying like a single root cause, but what do you see as a major factors driving the technician shortage? There seems to be a lot of different factors. Um, one of the biggest is um, a lot of people are leaving the veterinary profession to go to human medicine. There is more money in human medicine. There is more respect associated with human medicine and it's sometimes not quite as physically demanding as veterinary medicine. In veterinary medicine, a lot of times people don't understand that it's very similar to a human nursing role. Um, when they hear the technician word, they think that it's somebody that's just doing measuring or, you know, I'm a, something like an electrical technician or, you know, something, a job that is more, more of a blue collar, not necessarily a skilled nursing position. And, the other thing that is that comes into play is that there's a knowledge of a bunch of different species rather than just one single species. And so it, it is difficult and people sometimes feel that it's not worth the the amount of difficulty is not worth what they are paid for that difficulty. There also um, are a lot of places that don't use their technicians to their full potential that they will have them do sort of more menial tasks than the, the more skilled nursing things like the anesthesia and catheters and those sorts of things. 
They'll have their technicians doing a lot of cleaning and stocking, which is certainly something that we can do, but there's a lot of things that are more important that we can do than that. Yeah, I'd just like to piggyback. I think Kelly hit it on the head. Um, I think that many technicians do leave the profession because they're not valued and they're not using their skills to their fullest. So certainly having enough technicians, veterinary technicians in your practice, using them to their fullest, um, supporting their professional development so that they can continue their education is, is really important. Um, but I'd also like to highlight that we're also you know, seeing challenges with people being interested in coming into the profession. And I think that, I, I don't think, I know that I have seen a decline in students over the last five years. Uh, we used to have a waiting list every single year. We would have more students than space. Um, we actually expanded our, our student spaces uh, about four years ago. And since that time, we've not been able to fill our classes. And it's it's gotten really um, critical over the last couple of years. So we've actually had people that have come to our open houses at the college. And these are students that are, you know, looking at prospective um, professions at the school. And they'll come up and say, you know, I love working with animals. I would really love to be in this profession. And, you know, they may talk to us and, and, and they'll say, you know, I, I can't afford to work for that amount of money, you know, for what the starting salaries are, or even what the the going wages for um, an actual technician that's been out for several years. And they'll go past us and, you know, visit other human healthcare professions, just like Kelly was uh, mentioning. And so we have seen a decline, both in our student numbers uh, coming into the program, but also the students that are academically capable of getting through the program. And certainly there is something to be said about COVID and what everyone has gone through for the past two plus years. And I'm sure that many students coming out of high school may not have been academically as prepared as they may used to have been. Um, so we're seeing a little bit of that as well. And we hope that will change um, as things get back to normal. But I, I think from the educator side, at least in my experience, and I talked to other technician educators in Ohio, many of us are seeing decline in student numbers. And so that doesn't help at all because we're trying to get them out into the practices but they're not coming to us in the first place. That's so interesting knowing that there are so many students who apply for veterinary school and don't get in. You kind of have the opposite problem. Yeah, we definitely do. We used to be very similar. You know, we'd have almost double the number of students compared to the space that we have in our classes. That was the typical for almost 20 years in our program here in Cincinnati. You know, we've changed a lot of things to try to accommodate more students. We have a part-time evening program as well as our day program. And it's just, um, it, the numbers are definitely going down. Um, you know, we have less students in our freshman year courses, which is not our clinical, you know, hands-on nursing courses. Um, so we have less students that are even choosing it at the front end, unfortunately. And I, I, I don't have an answer for all the answers to it. I know salary is part of it because we've heard from those people or heard from the parents of those people who walk to the next table next to us um, in the human healthcare fields. But I know that, you know, we've had a lot of discussions on social media, and there's a lot of information out there about how difficult the profession has been over the last several years. And so I hope that that isn't contributing to it. But I feel like that may be turning some people away as well when we talk about the risk of suicide and compassion fatigue and coupling that with the difficult working conditions sometimes. I know a lot of practices out there do a wonderful job of supporting their technicians, but 
I think there are other practices that could do a better job. Absolutely. Now, the three of you are all based in Ohio, but is this problem affecting specific geographic regions or is it it's something that's industry-wide, nationwide, widespread? Yeah, I can speak to that. Um, I'm also on the um, American Veterinary Medical Association's task force and working group on this technician utilization issue. We've been working at this problem for the last three years, and we've done some surveys, we've done some, you know, group work where we're, you know, coming up with recommendations for the AVMA to help with this problem. And one of the things that we have found is there certainly is a difference um, in, in the United States. A lot of that has to do with regulations concerning technicians. Um, many of us are aware of the fact that across the United States, um, there is a huge range of what is considered a licensed or credentialed veterinary technician. Um, we are lucky in Ohio that we have pretty stringent rules and regulations that you have to graduate from an AVMA accredited program and pass the national board exam to become a registered vet tech in Ohio on RVT. But in other states, you may have on-the-job training. You may be able to sit for the board exam without going to a technician school. Um, and you may be able to call yourself a veterinary technician or become credentialed without either thing. So kind of on-the-job training with, with no board exam or no um, official schooling. So when you don't have that support of the profession across the United States, there certainly are areas where, you know, I always call it the wild, wild west, and it's not always in the West. I don't want to make it sound like they're bad guys out there. But, um, you know, it, it, it is difficult to advocate across the board for the profession the way the nursing you know, profession can because they've got very stringent guidelines about who can be a nurse and what their duties can be um, when states have such differing opinions about what technicians can do and how you can become a technician. So, you know, I, I think in general, it's it's worse in rural areas. Um, you know, we I think that practices in rural areas have difficulty attracting students to move there in some cases. And that tends to be kind of a, you know, across the United States, a trend that we see compared to urban areas where they may have higher pay scales or um, corporate practices or academia where they may be able to pay their, their employees a little higher or offer more benefits. But it, it definitely is a huge issue. Actually, this morning on my email, if I might, if I might um, interject on my email, I got a, a survey from AHA. Um, that asked a lot of the same questions. You know, they were asking, are you, you know, are you short veterinary technicians? Are you short veterinary assistants? So it, it you know, the survey kind of had that feel that they were, they were trying to get answers to this problem as well. So I think all aspects of veterinary medicine are feeling the crunch and they're, you know, they're trying to do something about it, or they're at least exploring it. So in your opinions, how has COVID impacted the shortage? One of the things that happened with COVID was that um, people were having a hard time getting into their general veterinarians. And so they were postponing things until animals were really sick. And it has um, pretty much blown up the emergency caseload, which has made it then harder for some of the specialty and referral hospitals to get patients in. It seems that there's a lot more patients trying to come in on an emergency basis or even just to see the specialists and they're not able, they're, it's harder for them to get appointments. And um, with a lot of practices doing curbside, 
they, we had to reduce schedules and the amount of people that were in the buildings and those sorts of things. So the demand has gone up and then we had to cut cases back. So it's made it a lot more difficult. When from the private practice perspective, we we had to cut our hours back because we just didn't have the staffing. We tried to do teams so that people were separated and you know you were on one team or the other so that you didn't have everybody co-mingling, but that was difficult. So we had to cut our hours back quite a bit. Um, the curbside service, you know, had to be instituted very rapidly. I mean, we had to do it like right now, once we found out we were allowed to start practicing again and, and actually seeing patients again. And it, it just added so many extra layers of stress um, for our, you know, the people that had to go out and the ice and the snow and bring animals in and, you know, get them out of their cars and bring them into the building. Um, and our office is located on a really busy street, so we couldn't really go outside to talk with the client because cars would be whizzing by and you couldn't hear anything. So we had to, you know, it was one extra step. It was several extra uh, phone calls that you had to make. You know, you had to call them to find out their history and then call them to, you know, it, there was just, there was so much. We all, we had one day when our phones went down. <laughs> that was a real mess because people were expecting to call and then we, they couldn't get in touch with us. So that was, that was, that was crazy. Um, but then some of the clients were just really cranky about the whole safety protocol thing. And they just, we, you know, we lost some clients and had to fire some clients and, you know, people would be frustrated because they couldn't get in and people would call and want to become new patients because they went out and got a new puppy or a new pet. And we couldn't, we just couldn't handle the caseload. So a lot, you know, and, and then initially early on, we weren't allowed to do any surgery except for life-saving procedures and we weren't staffed for it either. So it was really a, a, a difficult situation. So you mentioned splitting up your staff, which would would make your shortage even even more pronounced. Absolutely. Because if you have two technicians and two groups, you have only one technician on each group, which means that one technician is doing everybody's job for that particular group. Right. And then and then, you know, there were there were people that would get sick or their kids would get sick or their kids were home from school and they had no childcare or, you know, no, no place to send them. So it basically, you know, we had a lot of people that were out for various reasons during that time frame as well. And so it just really made the situation difficult. Right. You, if it's like a kind of like a domino effect, right. You know, you hit one wrong thing that could take out your entire practice. And then you're, you just exacerbates everything. Right. People in the veterinary profession have always prided themselves on, well, I'm, you know, I've got a sore throat, but I'm going to go to work anyway, because I can, I can power through it and I can do it. And, you know, my team's depending on me, so I'm going to do it. But you couldn't do that during COVID. You know, if you didn't feel good, you had to fess up and say, I don't feel good. And I'm showing, you know, signs that could be COVID. And you just, you had to stay home, you know, whether you wanted to or not, you just had to. So it, it made everything that much worse. I think it affected everybody because even those of us with larger staffs, we still for a while were only doing emergency procedures and emergency appointments, but we tried the cohort thing, which again, didn't work very well, even with a bigger staff, because you still have to make sure that people aren't commingling in between services. Um, and the other thing that was a little bit hard for us was that um, we have so many different services that we had to actually create a triage team which we didn't have the people for. So we had to pull people out of specialty services and put them on the triage team so that they could make sure that the emergencies that needed to get right in were getting 
directly back to the emergency room, whereas the ones that could wait for a minute were able to wait. So it was it was a little bit challenging in that sense too, in that we had to also try to avoid the domino effect of, you know, something being really sick and, and not getting to see anybody right away and have it be really bad for that particular animal. You hear the stories about people in emergency rooms dying in the emergency room because they haven't gotten back to see the doctor. And we definitely didn't want to have that happen here. Fortunately, we didn't, but you know, there were a couple of days where we were trying to get patients to make sure that everybody got seen in an appropriate amount of time. That's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in to the next episode for the second part in two weeks when we discuss the results of a recent OVMA survey, which gleaned insights from 800 plus veterinarians and technicians. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thanks again to today's guests for joining us on the show. And thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. As always, please feel free to visit fullyvettedpodcast.com for show notes and to provide listener feedback. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to follow Fully Vetted on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Like the show? Please submit a quick rating and comment on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more listeners like you. Until next time, stay safe and be well.